Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode nine of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co-hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. Welcome to you and thanks for listening in on this week's episode. Uh, Steve, good morning, good afternoon, depending on time of day. Um, Let's talk a little bit because it's hard not to uh, discuss the phenomenon that is Garrett Richards. Um, I think if you listen to Garrett Richards, you would be under the impression that he was the only major league pitcher who is having to deal with the foreign substance ban and the enhanced enforcement that major league baseball began about 10 days ago. Uh, He's three starts into this now and he clearly hasn't figured things out. The numbers are troubling, but almost equally as troubling from my standpoint, Steve, is how obsessed he is with this and how he cannot stop talking about how put out he feels by having to learn how to uh, throw a baseball as if he were starting from scratch. It it, it is kind of a, a strange phenomenon to watch this unfold in real time. Yeah, and, and it's it's hard to swallow because are you are you saying that you were like cheating so much that you can't back away from it to play the game the way it's supposed to be played? Uh, you know, I hope that's not the direction he's headed, but clearly it's like, hey, I you know I can't grip the ball anymore. Uh, this is a complete change. He's having to add new pitches to his repertoire, stuff like that. It, to me, uh, it should not be this big a deal it should be a slight adjustment and you know i mean i i'm I'm not sure why uh the players and the league don't somehow get together and decide on one some type of substance that's legal that you can use and let guys go from there but uh you, you know totally falling apart because of this issue speaks to a guy who was may have been ready to fall apart anyway yeah, it does make you question, I guess, his mental toughness. And, you know, this this is not a rookie pitcher who is being dealt this unforeseen circumstance. This is a guy who has spent, you know, close to 10 years in the big leagues. He's had his setbacks. He's had Tommy John surgery. He's had other injuries. He's, met, he, he's dealt with disappointment before, both in terms of performance and missing time because of injury. And yet, um, it, it just seems like this has psychologically broken him. And, you know, after Monday night's game in which he gave up five runs, including three homers to the first 10 hitters he faced in the Kansas City lineup, uh, he actually pitched okay the rest of the way, didn't allow another base runner to get into scoring position after the second inning, pitched the Red Sox into the sixth at five and two thirds. And, and kind of salvage something, but you got the feeling listening to both Alex Cora and Hunter Renfro, who remember was a teammate of Richards back in San Diego. So they've been together a couple of times. You're starting to hear a little bit of exasperation from Red Sox people as, you know, kind of like, okay, we get it. This is difficult. It's not something you're accustomed to, but do we have to make this the focal point of every start, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, whining about the adjustments he's had to make. Yeah, you know, it, it becomes an easy excuse. 
you know, as I talked about before, if you start to not play as well as you either started off or as you feel like you should be playing, uh, you know, you, you, you need to point something. And, and this is something you can really point to and say, oh, you know, it's unfair now. I have to change everything I'm doing. Guess what? Everyone else has to do it, too. And you're not seeing, you know, other top notch pitchers, you know, fall off the radar because they can't use pine tar to get a good grip on the baseball anymore. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, and I, and I want to say I could be wrong about this, but I think Garrett Richards was also, didn't he blow out his ankle in Fenway a number of years ago? He did. For the, yep. for the Angels. So, yeah, he's had his injury problems. I mean, that was a, a serious injury to the Angel pitching staff because he was one of their top starters and he's gone in and out of times of being really, really good and then not so good. And obviously those injuries and age and everything starting to catch up with them a little bit. But if that's the kind of crutch you need in order to continue to pitch in the big leagues, then, you, you know, you, you, you can't really rely on your stuff then. The strange thing is, is uh, as I may have mentioned before, is that, you know, he's kind of been through this for the last, what, let's call it four starts when they, when there were rumors about Major League Baseball starting to crack down and then the release of the memo and then the actual enforcement that began. And though he has not pitched well in any of those starts, he's given up at least four earned runs in the first three and then five on Monday night. The Red Sox are miraculously three and one in those four starts because they've been able to outslug other teams. They had to win 6-5, 10-8, lost 8-2, and then won 6-5 again on Monday. So in one sense, it hasn't really cost them because they've won three of those four games. But you do start to wonder at some point how long they can continue to run out this guy who's not only not pitching well or performing well, but seems to be a mess mentally when he's on the mound. You know, that, that doesn't exactly inspire confidence from your teammates that this guy is publicly saying, I have no idea what I'm doing out there and uh, I'm making it up as I go along. That, that's not exactly inspiring talk from a veteran starter. Right. And when you start hearing your teammates talk about it too, like Renfo, who's been a guy who's been around the block a few times, you know, the last thing you want is a guy sitting next to you that doesn't have any mental toughness, that doesn't think he can get out of bed and get it done without his best stuff or can show up you know, with a little bit of a nagging injury and, and still play well enough uh, to win games and help a team win, you know, that's the last thing I want to hear as a teammate. And, and when I think the, the best point about it is what you brought up, bottom line is your teammates are still going out and getting it done for you, even though you're not performing well, they're still winning games for you. So shut up and, and, and get it done. That's the last thing I want to be hearing about is this same issue, as you said, what is it? It's more than three weeks in we're talking about now. Let it go, make an adjustment, and win games. Yeah, you wonder how long it might be before they turn to Tanner Houck, who's made a couple of rehab, not rehab starts, but has now uh, made a couple of starts for AAA Worcester after miss missing some time with a uh, flexor strain earlier in the season. So he's built up a little bit. They could plug him in. What you end up doing with Richards is, is another matter with maybe, you know, you invent some sort of phantom physical thing and get him to just back off for, for uh, 15 days or so and get his head together and work on things on the side. Uh, maybe you, you know, figure out a way to have him pitch out of the bullpen for a little bit and work on stuff. But uh, it, it just seems like 
they, they can't continue to have this every five days where he's putting them in a hole early. And despite the fact that they have climbed out more often than not, it's not something you want to keep testing. Um, you know, yeah, so they, they do kind of have a history of doing that. I mean, you remember back in 2018 when Pomerantz couldn't get anybody out, couldn't get out of the fourth inning for like seven starts in a row, but they kept running him out there. And, you, you know, it's like this is a championship caliber team who blows up your bullpen every fifth day, but they kept running them out there so that it could be that same situation. Yeah, it, it just seems like it, it, there comes a point where it, 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 you know, it's diminishing returns and it's not worth sticking with him. And I'm not thinking about releasing him or, or DFAing him or anything else. He's shown that in the first couple of months that he's a, you know, at least a middle of the rotation veteran starter and he should be able to get back to that level, but not the way he's pitching more recently. Uh, since we did our last episode, Steve, uh, I think you'll agree that that Thursday loss at Tropicana Field, one nothing, on a swinging strike, wild pitch, unearned run in the bottom of the ninth, that included a no-hit bid by Nick Pavetta and no hits by the Rays until the eighth inning, and yet somehow the Red Sox still lost that game one nothing. Uh, you know, that's the kind of loss that can really crush a team for a few days. Uh, you're, you're, you're playing head to head with the team you're trying to beat at the top of your division by losing that game. You drop a half game out of the American league East, uh, lead, and you're going home to face the Yankees, a team that had been playing pretty well, that looked like it had started to turn things around. It would have been, if not understandable, then then at least not very surprising if the Red Sox had come home from that game in Tampa and really had kind of a, a letdown or a hangover against the Yankees. Instead, the Red Sox dominate the Yankees with a three-game sweep, follow that up with a big come-from-behind win on Monday night, and now have a four-game winning streak going after what was arguably their most frustrating loss of the season. And I, I think that kind of speaks to a little bit of the character that we see with this team. Yeah, and thanks for bringing us back to the happier times, right? You talk about a situation with Richards, and then you start talking about the the character of the rest of this ball club. And that's what it is to me. I mean, this team hasn't let itself get buried. You know, we before the show started, we talked about three-game losing streaks. It's only happened three times to this team. The only team that hasn't had a longer losing streak than three games. And bouncing back and crushing the ball right afterwards. And to me... It, you know, the game ebbs and flows. It does. There's no question about it. We all know that. And, and really good teams go through periods where they can't get even get out of their own way. But that this team has not let that happen to them so far halfway through the season. And it really speaks to the clubhouse to me and the character of the guys in it. And, you know, obviously I'm not as close to that team as I have been in the past. Uh, but, you know, that's someone walking through the clubhouse saying, uh-uh, this isn't happening to us. We show up tomorrow and we start playing better baseball. And it's kind of a, a collective group thing of guys kicking each other in the butt saying, you know, this team is better than anyone thinks we are. Uh, you know, you look at the numbers now, they're a potential hundred uh, win game uh, season uh, out of a team that no one thought was going to happen. So, you know, it's not a, an us against the world type of a situation, but it is a bunch of guys in the clubhouse that believe in each other and are picking each other up. 
Yeah, you mentioned, you know, a couple of guys in the clubhouse, and I think one of those guys in the clubhouse is the guy in the corner office. I, I think a lot of this stems from Alex Cora and the leadership he provides immediately after that one nothing loss in St. Pete last Thursday. Um, and, and a number of people noticed this. He went out of his way, phrase, you know, where you might have said, oh, tough one, boy, that's a, that's a hard way to end a long road trip and you know, if we had won that, we would have gone home in first place. Um, would have been perfectly understandable to show some frustration after that one. Instead, he went out of his way to praise the team, to say that he was proud of the way that they had played in that series to Tampa, even though they lost two out of three, and promised that it was going to be a fun summer at Fenway and we're a good team. I don't know if that was kind of a public pick-me-up for the team, but it was probably a, a little glimpse into the message that he was sending inside the clubhouse after that. Yeah, it's it's kind of the way he operates, too. I mean, he's pretty public. Uh, you know, a lot of managers would say one thing behind closed doors, and that can be certainly respected and and uh, and warranted at times and then come out publicly and say something quite different. Alex, pretty much, you know, what you see is what you get. And I think what we see out of him is very, very close to what he's saying to his players too. And so, yeah, I, I, I thought that was commendable. You know, he basically came out and said uh, how good his team was after one of the worst losses that they could endure so far this, this season, based on the road trip, based on who they're playing and based on who you're going to play the next day. Uh, he totally picked that club up. You know, one of the things, and again, that you and I haven't had a chance to discuss, were you surprised that he went and got Pavetta uh, with, you know, in the middle of the, a possible no-hit bid? Um, I wasn't because of how long, how far Pavetta was from the finish line and having already thrown 100 pitches. Um, you know, he, he had two outs in the seventh inning. He had, uh, he had seven outs still to go. And when you look at the pitch count and the fact that he was already at a hundred pitches, some of that was because Chavis made an error that forced him to face another batter, but a hundred pitches in the seventh inning to get seven more outs. I think you're looking at as many as, you know, another 30 pitches. And I don't think you want a guy throwing 130 pitches um, in, in June just for a, a no-hit bid. And, and I thought it was instructive that while Pavetta obviously would have preferred to stay, that there was no um, the, there was no show of emotion when Cora came to get him. Uh, he didn't pout. He didn't criticize him or second-guess him after. It, it speaks to the buy-in that the players have for Cora that, you know, I, I think the quote from Pavetta was, this isn't about me. This is about winning games. And I think that's a, you know, a great attitude to have on it. Yeah. Yeah. Two quick points there. Obviously, if the score was, uh, you know, six, nothing, you could tell Pavetta, go ahead and challenge a lot of first pitch sure. fastballs, get him to swing the bat. Maybe you get some quick outs, outs and you can stay in there. And the other thing is, shoot, there's a no hitter thrown every other week in baseball these days. So it's not as big a deal <laughs> as it used to be. He, uh, and, and who knows, uh, Pavetta could get another, uh, another shot at that before the month of July is out the way the game is going, as you, as you properly point out. Um, you know, you, you made reference to the fact that they have not lost four games in a row all season. They are the only major league team that can say that as we get to the end of June. 
And I thought another thing that reflected how resilient they are on the three occasions where they have had three game losing streaks, not only did they make sure that they didn't get out of hand and stop them before they really got started, but here's what they did in the nine games following each of those three game skids. They went nine and zero, oh, then they went seven and two, and then they went seven and two again. So you're talking about uh, 23 and four following your three worst skids of the season. Yeah. And that's what we talked about before is just, that's, that's the guys in the clubhouse kicking each other in the butt saying, this isn't going to happen. And anytime a team's on a, a three game losing streak, the fans start to get restless. Uh, you start to say, Oh, oh, here we go. Is this, the, is this the beginning? But think about that. Every other team in baseball has had a losing streak more than three games. And that's the limit for the Red Sox. That's the max they've had this season. So if you're getting nervous when they lose three games in a row, look around the rest of baseball. How nervous are those fans getting when, they, when, when the losing streaks continue? Exactly. Um, it is uh, coming up upon that time, Steve, where we are just about um, a month from the trade deadline. It's going to be a day earlier this year on July 30th. Um, there's a kind of interesting story behind that. Uh, July 31st, which is the traditional deadline, falls on a Saturday this year. And Major League Baseball, somewhat understandably, decided, well, it's not a good look to have players be pulled out of games at the deadline at 4 o'clock and Saturday being the day of the week that the deadline would otherwise fall on. We're at the 31st this season. Uh, you'd have fans watching star players come out of the game in the fourth inning because they're involved in a trade, and that's not a good luck for the sport. Nobody in baseball took time to look at the schedule and find that I think there are two games in the afternoon on Saturday. So while it's understandable that they moved it back to the 30th, uh, the fact is that we don't see a lot of weekend day games anyway, and they probably moved that day for no reason. and Just kept it on the 31st, but too late for that. But um, I'm wondering what you think the Red Sox might be looking for uh, as we get closer to the deadline. A lot can happen in a month. There could be injuries that we can't foresee in the next few weeks that really change what they might need and, and, and what the holes might be. I would say for now, they could use a left-handed hitting first baseman and some bullpen help. How about you? Yeah, I think there's no question. Uh, you know, the, the first base, a left-handed hitting first baseman would would help a little bit. I'm not too worried about what they do offensively. I mean, their bats generally show up every day. And I think that, you know, they're not, you know, they're not a one-dimensional offensive team that we've talked about in the past that, you know, they can manufacture runs when they have to. So I, I think offensively, they're a pretty darn complete team. Um but yeah, pitching, you could, you never have enough pitching. You certainly, you know, we just talked about the Richard situation. Who knows how far that goes south? Uh, Pavetta is a guy who's has, has had injury problems in his past. You know, you look at a guy like Martin Perez, you know, as we get deeper into the season, how long, how deep can he get into games? You know, you don't want to start burning up the bullpen that hasn't performed all that great already. So, yeah, maybe, you know, and, and I'd like to preface all this by saying that, yeah, I, I don't think I'm alone by saying that I think Heim Bloom has done an excellent job putting this team together. 
I think he started doing it uh, last year in the midst of a, a, the, the, the worst season that they've had, as far as I was concerned. It was miserable watching that Red Sox team struggle through 60 games. But in the interim, during that time, is when he picked up some players. You know, got Christian Royal during that period of time. And then you go out and sign Hunter Renfro. These are guys that have, have really helped this team win games this season, kind of under the radar sightings. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how he handles this trade deadline again. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you have to praise uh, the job that Bloom has done and kind of, you know, not doing anything radical. They didn't go out and spend you know, $100 million on a big name free agent to try to throw money at the problem. It's been kind of smaller, gradual moves, but more of them have paid off than not. So he gets high marks, as you would expect. The president of baseball operations for a team that currently has the best record in the American League to get. He, he, uh, it, it's hard to take issue in the big picture with the job he's done. Let's... Um, take a look at a team in the National League that is equally as surprising, maybe even more surprising. Everyone thought that the NL West was going to be a two-team race between the Dodgers and Padres, right? You've got the defending world champs and the Dodgers, and then the Padres made all those moves in the offseason to get better because they knew they had to go through L.A. to get out of the National League. They trade for Snell. They trade for Darvish. They upgrade all over the place. And yet, as we reach the halfway point, neither team is in first place in that division. Um, that title belongs to the San Francisco Giants, who have the best record in baseball and are and are close to winning two of every three games that they played in the first three months. I don't think anyone saw this one coming. Yeah, yeah, nobody did, especially when you talk about the rest of that division. There, the Giants were just going to be, you know, slightly ahead of the Arizona Diamondbacks, <laughs> and then all of a sudden you look at what they're doing, and again, you know, I think it comes down to who's in the clubhouse and and how they work together and and the way they play, and that's that's what you see up there in San Francisco. It's a bunch of guys coming together, playing pretty good baseball all around. You know, you don't you don't you don't look at that roster and say, oh, my God, look at the star power on this team. Yeah, there's no Barry Bonds on this Giants team. <laughs> not, not the last time I checked. <laughs> um, and finally, as we get uh, a little bit closer to all-star selection time, uh, we, we all recognize that the home run derby has become almost as big, I guess you could in some circles say, bigger than the game itself. People love tuning into that on Monday night. It's an event unto itself. Uh, a lot of fun. Players love it. You see them watching uh, from, from, uh, the, the, from the field with their families, and it, it becomes this festive atmosphere. And uh, the news that Shohei Otani, who's only the most captivating player in the game in 2021, is not only willing but eager to take part in the Home Run Derby, should make that for, uh, particularly when you remember where this is being played, Coors Field in Denver with the thin air and, uh, and an environment where the ball just flies. It's a little scary, but fun to think about what Otani could do in that forum. Yeah, especially the right center field. There's like a jet stream on top of the, uh, you know, the thin air and he's left-handed hitting up there, just crushing balls. I mean, I'm impressed by him in so many ways. I mean, it, it would be really halfway through the season or you'd be hard pressed not to say he's the most valuable player just because of everything he's doing 
on top of leading the league, tied for the league lead in home runs. Um, but the fact that he's willing to participate, because as you said, everybody loves the home run uh, derby, but not too many guys want to actually do it. They don't want to be in it. Uh, they've heard the rumors. They've seen the results of guys that go out there and just all out try to hack, and they, they're taking 150 swings trying to hit a ball out of the ballpark and then come back and have subpar se uh, second halves. It's happened to a number of players, and it, it started to take its toll on people, whether it was real or, or imagined. And to have a superstar like that step up and say he's going to do it uh, is a shot in the arm for that home run derby. I particularly think it's become a little too commercialized and takes way too long, <laughs> but. Yeah, you know, it, it, I, I agree. It's kind of drawn out. And after a while, you're kind of like, all right, can we get to the finals here and wrap this up? But yeah, um, I, I, I think. It's amazing that he's going to do it. Yeah. And, and good for him. And, and, and that's good for the game. Uh, you know, the sport is properly criticized at times for not uh, marketing its stars and not promoting some of the young players it has and you know what better way to do it with a guy who is having a a historic season we throw that phrase around a lot but this really is historic in terms of his achievements not only in the batter's box 26 home runs but his performance on the pitcher's mound and here he is willing to take that mantle and be in the spotlight when everyone is watching and that can only mean good things for the game I think Absolutely. It's, uh, it's impressive. And he's been a pretty impressive guy, not only, you know, on and off the field. Well, that's going to wrap up an episode uh, for this week, Steve, we are uh, going to endeavor to start having some guests on the podcast, as we said at the outset, wanted to kind of get up and running and comfortable and have people uh, discover the podcast and tell their friends about it and download it and listen and we see the numbers going up and we appreciate that kind of support. And we're going to start having some guests on to join us. Uh, hopefully that starts next week, if not then, then very soon after. Um, so we would ask that you continue to rate and review the podcast on whatever platform you consume it to tell your friends about its existence. And most of all, to join us again here next week. Steve, look forward to doing that. All right, John. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.